I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up, everybody? This is your girl, Shanti Das, the host of the Silence the Shame podcast, here with my co-host, Free the Vision. How you doing, Free? I'm doing good, Shanti. How you doing? I am good. It's been a minute. I know that, uh, gosh, we haven't been on the airwaves in in, in a couple months now. Um, We're still growing over here with this organization. We got some new staff members that are going to help us really take this organization to the next level. So we've just been kind of had our heads down and working, but we are back in effect and we are excited to be here. And I'm really excited to talk to this young man today because He certainly is a trailblazer in the mental health space. Um, We've had people that have tried to connect us, but life happened. And so, but I feel like everything happens in God's perfect timing. So I I will say that this is the beginning of hopefully a long um, opportunity of partnerships and conversations that we're going to do with this young man um, and his incredible movement. So this is episode 53. Oh my God. Oh, wow. I did not even realize that we were at 50 minutes. Oh, baby. So it's exciting as we try to continue to spread this knowledge and and information in the community. So, all right, Silence of Shamers, let's give a warm, warm Silence of Shame welcome to our guest, the founder of the Confess Project, Lorenzo Lewis. What's up? Welcome. Yes, yes, it's, it is a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited for the opportunity um, to always, um, you know, not only just speak truth, but really connect with folks out there that's obviously in our work and or that's looking to pull on the hope that we're looking to put out for the world. So again, thank you all for the opportunity. Absolutely. And, and just kudos to your organization. I know you were founded in 2016 and You've been featured in the O Magazine. Shout out to Miss Queen Oprah. And we've seen you on the Today Show and a bunch of national and, and local press. And we're, again, we're just really proud of you. Can, can you just start, Lorenzo, by sharing kind of what your background was and what led you to wanting to start such an important movement um, for Black men and boys. And it's important to note that it is America's first mental health barbershop movement, um, particularly for Black men and, and Black boys. So why did you start this, Lorenzo? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Confess Project really targets Black men and boys between the ages of 6 and 35. You know, as a young kid, um, I went to my aunt's beauty salon um, roughly around the ages of 4 and on throughout my teenage years. And this is where I really found my first mentor, um, a guy named Sylvester. It was maybe about four stations there, um, small um, beauty salon here on the corner of one of the busy intersections in Little Rock, Arkansas, off Asher Avenue. Um, I went there every day. You know, there was a, it was really where, you know, we recognize sports to politics, you know, playing cards and dominoes, everything you could imagine that happens in that space, um, you know, it's really our village. You know, it's, it's one of our safe spaces in the black community that we can go to and unapologetically be ourselves. And this is really where I found that courageous center point um, for just connecting. Um, and Sylvester really made me feel special. Um, as being frank about it, he was a, not only a mentor, but he felt like a father as well. 
that connection really allowed me to know later on that this this place is very transformational. Um, I went through my series of issues, incarceration. Um, I was also put in a behavior health facility as a young person um, after losing my dad and my mother. And so, you know, going through my own set of issues, um, undiagnosed depression, et cetera, um, I recognized that um, I was really drawn to this work. Um, I ended up getting a job in the space. Uh, as we know, there's 2% of Black folks that identify as mental health professionals in this country. So I was like a unicorn in the space, really working with um, our people, recognizing that our people really had so much pain and trauma. But I believe that we can go to a place of healing and transformation. And that's where I realized that my personal and professional connections really connected in building the Confess Project. Um, that's what started me early on my journey is, you know, really knowing that there was so much more hope. Um, just really glad that I followed that conviction and that purpose. That's amazing. You know, I, um, and I think that it's really good because of the fact that, like you said, not only is there a scarcity of, of Black people holistically in this space, but then for Black men to be able to actually have this conversation, how difficult was it for you to, if it was difficult at all, for you to actually feel the courage to step up and start having these conversations? What was it like engaging other Black men to pull them into this? Did you find it to have some resistance and how did you handle that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a bunch of resistance. Um, I think the one thing that we realized starting this work is that Black men are just not in a position that they want to um, go into therapy. I think just being very honest about it, it's just something that you know, historically and, you know, um, even far as back as generationally, they've just been taught to really bow and hold their emotions in. Um, you know, I think so we have to recognize the masculinity that plays a huge role in this work um, of, of the everyday Black man and the Black man experience. Um, masculinity is, is, is on both sides, healthy and negative, but obviously a lot of the display, display, displaying of emotions that are mostly played in regards of therapy is around the neg negative masculinity of um, strong, um, I don't need nobody's help, um, and also even um, dealing with it in anger and in rage. And so because we know that these are characteristics on the front end, um, the work was not as easy to get out. Um, I think the first few years, this it was just an exploration of getting the word out and hopefully finding a few barbers that can get on board with our work. Um, we made those barbers um, celebrities in their own rights and really plastered them to the world as they were successful. I think from there, we were able to just grab attention by people like Gillette and, and this company. These are growing partners and now bringing on just uh, over 600, well over 600 barbers in 35 cities. Um, but it, a lot of it, I think, really took for us to recognize our few men that we help, uh, showing that this is the momentum that can happen. And, and quite frankly, a lot of these barbers, um, they knew that this was something that they did want to get into. A lot of it was shame, right? And I think it go back to the work that you guys are doing uh, with Silence the Shame. It was, it was pure shame. It was guilt. Um, it was, um, I don't want to look embarrassed. And so, you know, now I think we have built upon this as it is strength and it is power. And I think that's where we're headed at this point. I have a question. Um, so do you mind sharing a little bit about what 
state you were in mentally, right? When you had to deal with the incarceration and, and being a black man. And I know, you know, from what I've been told is that, you know, within, you know, the prison system, there is not a lot of just general rehabilitation and not to mention just mental health support. And so I know you went through all of that. And obviously you talked about the loss of your parents. And again, our condolences to you on that. Do you think that is what kind of sparked something in you? And did, and did you even like, did you get used to get your hair cut when you were incarcerated? And did you open up and share to your barber at that time? Or was it kind of when you got out that you kind of sparked this big movement? Yeah, yeah. so I was incarcerated at the age of 17, uh, being tried for a firearm conviction uh, right before my 18th birthday. So I recognized that I was one step away from not only being a, um, recognized as a felon, but really throwing my whole life away. Um, the judge gave me a second shot at life, and I told her that I, that I took it, right? And so from there, you know, I said, hey, I'll never come back to this place again. What really disturbed me while I was incarcerated is it brought back memories from my mother. My mother was incarcerated on a short sentence when I was born. I was born in a prison in Newark, New Jersey. My father was also incarcerated. And so when I really took into account while I was going through that experience is that um, generationally, when I looked at them and then their mothers and fathers, my uncles, everybody around me, um, people in my neighborhood, that this was just a common thing. It really disturbed me so much that I went and started working in the space. So three years after my release, um, I went and worked in the juvenile justice system and I was able to just see myself through these young men or what, you know, who I was. And so that really inspired me. And then the next nine years, I went and spent working in behavior and mental health inside of clinics, hospitals here in the state of Arkansas, serving individuals from the ages of five to 65 with severe mental illnesses and behavioral, um, um, just behavioral disorders in, in general. And so- Can I ask um, in what capacity you were working when you were doing that? Yes, yes. So I was recognized as what they call a mental health technician, caseworker. Um, I worked doing a lot of direct service work. Um, and so, you know, having that type of access to the clientele, um, you know, I think that it was a, um, a huge eye opener because I also had spent time as a youth, you know, in a behavioral health facility and then incarcerated. So I, you know, I think for me, it was, that was healing work. Uh, but I also saw that the, the black people that were being served in these facilities really did not, I don't think had the cultural connection to the services that were being provided because there is such a lack of clinicians that are in the space. And that's what really drove me to start the movement is recognizing that, you know, um, myself, the people that I served there in the capacity, um, you know, that they couldn't connect with the white clinicians, the people that was coming through um, providing the services. And so that, that really gave me a, a motivation alongside my personal experience. So there's something too that I wanted to mention. Um, you know, I know that for black men in our community, the, the barbershop is a sacred space. You know, we go there not only for fellowship and get our haircuts, we come out kind of feeling, we feel the most primal also because like we walk out feeling a lot more amped and, and good after we've gotten a haircut. So it's kind of a confidence boost, but it's also a space where sometimes black men can be uh, the most heightened versions of themselves. You get what I'm saying? Like with a barbershop, you know? So we know that you're going to have moments where it's not going to be always honesty, but how do you break through that barrier of like, 
masculinity because you know the barbershop is like almost a spot where like you talk about sports you're talking about all of the like supercharged things of what masculinity looks like how do you break past that to get to the point of discussing your issues because i think it comes out but you know we keep a kind of like certain baseline of things that we discuss yeah absolutely no i i hear this all the time um you know we also have to recognize that in a barbershop you know you have you know, brothers come from all different walks of life, right? From the LBGTQ community. They may come from different communities um, of how they were raised and the way that they connected with other men. Um, may not have ever had men in their lives. And so everybody's coming from a different space and a different energy point. Uh, I think one thing that we recognize is that it is a very heightened place. But what we also like to transform is that that same energy that we're using, that we can also use that to mobilize and centralize our mental and emotional well-being. And that, in fact, one thing that we do do with our barbers now is we really make it clear that, hey, you guys are here to make money, um, to make um, to build generational wealth. We recognize that barbershops is one of the few places that they can own, um, that they can pass down to their children. But in fact, when your clients are not in an emotional, healthy um, state of mind, right, they cannot spend money with you at your barbershop. Right. They cannot you will not stay in business any longer if you are not not only providing customer service, but providing this support of training that we're offering, um, because if someone's not in this great state of mind, they're going to be unemployed, underemployed. And they're also they could be very disruptive in the community. And so when we put it in that mind frame, um, you know, anytime you start talking about money and finances, that just wake brothers up in a very different way and it wake everybody up. Cause, but I also think it allows them to know that it's very important. Um, one, it just helps, you know, it, it really generates more to their business, to their brand as a barber. And then also it helps their clients. So it's a, it's, it's a, just a, it's a great win for everybody. And I, I think that's, you know, we started out without using that language, but I think we had to learn that maybe we're not putting it in the best way for them to really understand it. It's not just about mental health. This is also about economic mobility. This is also about building stronger relationships. But this is also about um, keeping down the violence around your barbershop, which can be affected, you know, and by people that are coming into your shop that may not be in the best state of mind. Um, and we've had barbers now stop people from, hurting someone else, but have had barbers to stop from wanting to hurt themselves. Um, and so identifying that language, those those areas of agitation and being withdrawn, I think it's really now catapult to where it's like, wow, this is something we do all the time. I'm glad I have a training now that can help. So, so that we and our listeners understand, so you essentially take these barbers through, is it virtual trainings that you do? Because you yeah, have a we do right? Yeah, we have three ways that we do the training. One is virtual. Um, obviously, we do that online. We also do an in-person version, uh, which is probably the most impactful. Um, and then we also have a self-paced course, which means they can take the course in their private time away from not being a part of a larger group. That's also for our more boutique barbers. Mm -hmm. That may be a one barber in the shop or they may cut in a small suite. Um, you know, we most of the time we cut, we normally train barbers. We try to train within 10 or 20 at a time. Uh, we try to, we train barber schools and that could be 40 to 50 students at a time. Um, so yeah, we, we do those in a few different ways. The training lasts about an hour and a half. It really covers like some real 
like core, core, very incremental um, values around active listening, you know, validation, positive communication and stigma reduction. Um, the last part of the training, it is a resource mobilization of them um, understanding how to contact the crisis line, how to contact with a therapist. Um, what does that look like? So that's pretty much what happens. Um, those tools will help them perform that during an hour, 30 minutes to an hour haircut session. So if they're talking to a client in real time, that active listening starts to go in effect if a client sits down and says, I've lost somebody to COVID, man, I am stressed out, right? Mm -hmm. In that moment, that barber is taught on how to listen, how to communicate effectively, not how to not drive that client to um, being in a devastated situation by saying, oh, just man up, suck it up, it's gonna be okay. That can yeah. be devastating to somebody's mental health. Um, so they're also encouraged to say, well, man, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you're going through that. How can I support you? That is encouraging language that will change the trajectory in that moment. And so when we use that supportive language, we also just strengthen our communities overall because people are connecting at a way much higher vibrational way than, than they were before. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're also building empathy while doing this, right? This is building compassion. Um, it's just a beautiful exchange when that starts to happen um, between men, families, women, whomever that's, that's in that position. It's such a beautiful thing that y'all are doing. I got to tell you, I mean, because even, you know, back, I've been going to the hair salon probably since I was in the eighth grade. And, you know, the same thing goes for hair salons, right? Um, in terms of barbershops and beauty shops. And it's just so important for our community to have, you know, this kind of like, intervention right if you will when you're doing something that you're going to do as a part of your regular lifestyle everybody go get got to get that fresh cut and everybody got to go get their hair done um, so yeah, i love sure. it now do you partner up with local clinicians in each cities and do you pair a clinician with each barber what does that look like yes absolutely so we have a um therapist directory um, all of our therapists that come through the directory go through a very short uh, but very impactful screening um, that just asks, you know, racial justice, racial ethnic questions about serving black men, families um, that was created by one of our um, therapeutic partners. Um, we are we identify ourselves as advocates. And so we need therapists in this fight. Um, we're not trying to wear no more hats than what we wear. Um, and so we are very committed to partnering with therapists in local communities. Um, somebody's ever in a crisis, we want to make sure that that barber can pivot, get somebody to help. Um, you know, and so that's one of the key ways of our outcomes. Um, and so we're, we're also excited that we're going to continue this work there in the city of Atlanta with um, DBSDD and really now magnifying our impact. Um, where we know how many men are going to therapy after the fact, you know, what was the experience like? So those are some things that we are looking to get into. Uh, we have done some data on the front end to see that, you know, 90% of those barbers um, and clients are more um, impacted by our mental health inside the barbershop rather than going to a therapy clinic, which means they prefer to have it there um, or in, in, instead of going to um, a provider outside of there. And a lot of that's because of racism and a lot of the other factors um, of going into places where they feel intimidated. Um, so yeah, just tremendous, um, I think, opportunities for more barbers. Um, you know, the, you know, things that we've learned over the years, we're still learning 
Um, but I think, you know, we're, we've made it so far to kind of knowing more than what we knew before. Trey, did you have another question? Oh, no, no. I mean, I was, uh, I was appreciating everything that you were saying. How did, how did the barbers initially take to it as you started to spread this message, though? What was their reception? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the biggest thing that I think we did get was, um, you know, man, this is crazy. Uh, you know, uh, we, we had some barbers, you know, was very, I think, more speechless and more shocked because, when you, you know, you start to talk about mental health. Um, you know, it really brings up a lot of pain for people uh, because they, they do know what it is. Like they have an understanding. They, they've just also been conditioned um, to not go any deeper other than on the surface of what it really is, unless it is a catastrophe. Um, somebody, you know, does a shooting in the community or somebody sees somebody on the side of the road that may have appeared that they were like having a conversation with themselves. Like, unless it's something at that level, most of the time, you know, people are just very kind of shallow about really talking about it. One way that we really broke the ice, this is a part of our training and our curriculum. Anybody that we train, we now we train barbers on how to do this. So they're out doing the trainings now. And that's one way that we're scaling our numbers so quickly. Uh, but it's a storytelling mechanism that's tied into the training. So like how I told my story in the beginning, and I do that in just about all media interviews, I do that because that's a part of how we engage them. When they know the lived experience, they can connect. Um, I'm a brother that look like them. I wear ball caps. I like to wear Jordans. I can connect with them. So they see that story um, and they hear that from somebody that looks like them, that got tattoos, that may have been in the system. Um, it's just received a lot more, much more better. Um, not saying that if someone who does not have that, that's not that won't be their response. But what we do know is that we have to you know, employ and hire people in this work that very much can connect with those populations of men. Because we know that, um, like you said earlier, you know, um, when we are in this space, it is a heightened um, power of just strength and looking cool. So we really have to bring it down to where it is very human. It's the human experience. And then it's the black experience tied into that. And I think from there, it really sits differently um, because, you know, I'm also not going to let them embarrass me either, right? But, so, but the other side of this is what I'm saying to you, I know it really means something to you because you or somebody you know have went through this and or have, you know, are going through it now. And so I think that's something that we're just always, it's like, you know, um, and really just shedding light to like, hey, you know, um, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay. Right. You know, and I think just being clear that, you know, um, you know, I, I think black men express themselves a lot differently. Um, they don't say that, hey, I have a behavioral health disorder. Hey, I'm going through it. Right. Well, hey, that what you're going through it is a language that we know. How do we support you going through it? And I think it's just really unpacking those barriers in the language that's tied around mental health that a lot of black men and boys just don't understand. They don't have that literacy to understand. that. So we have to explain it like what you're feeling right now is a part of this, right? And now we want to help you with doing X because this is going to help you flow better in your life, you know? So a lot of it is just teaching, you know, literacy. Um, I think that's that's where we are, so. Let me ask you this too. Does it have, has it extended to the youth? Because, you know, 
young kids come into the space and get their haircuts. Young boys are in that space and kind of watching us. How did that kind of impact them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have, um, you know, believe it or not, we have seen it probably um, has been more impactful than we, we don't have the numbers yet. Um, we did just get a grant recently that's going to help, like, really show more impact with children and families. But we do, in fact, know that uh, from the stories we've heard, a lot of the barbers um, are like single mothers are bringing their sons to the shop. Hey, you know, I need, you know, I need you to support him. He's getting in trouble at school. Um, that intervention is turning into that barber supporting that young person where they are now making better grades. They are not using drugs anymore. Um, you know, and so like, we know that that's happening. Um, and on top of that, those skills and tools that we've taught them, I'm sure that they are using those. So we're really excited to start sharing that um, those stories here in the near future. We have began a um, there in Vine City, there in Atlanta. We have um, started a back to school event that we're looking to do each year. One of our barbershops there at Provados Grooming um, to supporting um, children and families because we really we do really want to improve um, and really amplify the stories of the young men that are going through these shops and the families. Um, because the families are just as impacted while waiting on a haircut or while being in that space from a barber or being in that, you know, in that, in that environment. So, you know, we are looking to increase in that. We again started that, you know, that event and hopefully, you know, partner with, you know, um, with Silent the Shame and other, other folks that's community, you know, in those more um, adjacent places from barbershop. In fact, knowing that those same people are visiting those same places. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to say, because, you know, one thing I think we all learned and, and we know now, that especially as advocates in this space, is if you train the child, you got to train the families, right? So, because they got to go back into that situation. And so, uh, again, we just want to commend you, brother, on everything that you and your team are doing. Um, the one thing I just love about it is you're meeting folks where they're at. And, and that's the most important thing, because it is still a lot of shame and stigma within the community, particularly amongst black men and black boys um, and getting them to open up, you know, you know, you tell your barber everything, you know, so why not open up a little bit more and have that barber be that advocate that can refer, right? Because it is about referring out, you know, for help. And so I, I just think it's awesome what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about your book, Jumping Over Life's Hurdles and Staying in the Race and, and how we can get your book. Absolutely. So um, Jumping Over Life Hurdles and Standing the Race was a memoir um, over my life. It just kind of explains the journey of a Black kid in America um, that's went through an incarceration system, you know, um, that has also just went through barriers um, of grief. Um, it really details the mental health journey, uh, but also the resilience journey, um, the journey of grit, um, the journey of survival that comes along with being a young black male in America. Um, recently, we have created a curriculum uh, book that goes along with it as well. Um, you know, that's really supporting juvenile justice centers, um, detention centers. Uh, but the book itself, I think, can maybe be an inspiration to to many um, that really, um, again, may can see themselves through this lens um, of whether that's a brother or somebody connected to them, or even themselves that may have went through similar. Um, similar things. And so that, that can be found on my, my personal website at LorenzoPLewis.com. 
Um, I think that is the story of the Confess Project. Um, this organization was founded based on a story and experience, experiences, a lifetime, lifeline, lifetime experiences of myself. And um, we're now just wanting to not train barbers, but we're, we're also amplifying stories of just men, women, communities, children um, that have similar experiences of mental health, but also now helping each other um, through a very peer intervention, an early stage peer intervention model. Um, that really helps the people to get help if they're just continuing to struggle. So um, I look forward to you know uh, how we make it also be of support. And uh, I really appreciate you all for this opportunity. Absolutely. So just know, you know, 2022, we're going to figure something out. You right here in the A now. We, we, we got to link up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. I'm yeah, super excited. Uh, I have whatever we can do. Have you done anything um, with Killer Mike yet at his barbershop at the Hawks? No, we, we have not. We have not. We definitely aspire to hopefully. hopefully well, maybe that's uh, something. Um, maybe we'll do something with Mike together. I'll talk to Mike and maybe we can get a couple of his barbers. We actually um December 10th is um December 10th is uh Silence of Shame Night at State Farm Arena for the Hawks mm-hmm. game. And so wow. we'll figure something out. Yeah, that's I'm gonna have to mark that so I can try to come out and definitely support. I, I appreciate that. That's a great, great idea. And I'm originally from New Jersey, so when you said that you were from Newark, I'm from Passaic. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 It's good to see it being implemented from somebody who's from that kind of environment and that background, because I know, you know what I mean? And and the barbershop for us is actually a hang spot. Like, we get up and go to the barbershop not needing the haircut. Like, I remember growing up and and doing that with my dad. So, So that's something that's really... I love the way that you're actually not only impacting community, but building community just by being in it because it's, it's the inevitable spot. You know what I mean? And your parents even talk to you funny about like, it's time for you to go get a haircut. You need to go there. You know, so it's the <laughs> it's the thing that we almost have to do. And it's a sense of like, you know, like my dad would say, when you look better, but when you when you look good, you feel good. You know, so it's already a, it's already a hub that's created to make you boost your self esteem. So I think it's very smart. Yeah, very, very, very smart, brother. We commend you again, Lorenzo Lewis from the Confess Project, joining us today on the Silence and Shame podcast. Again, this was episode fifty, mental health and barbershops in the Black community. We hope to do more with you all. Not hope, we will do more. How about that? We are going to do more. Um, Because I believe in being intentional. And so we definitely going to figure out some ways. Um, We also also do some work with DBHDD. So congratulations on doing some work with them. And whatever we can do to continue to support you all and amplify your efforts. And and I know that our listeners truly enjoyed hearing your story today. And it's a lot more to come um, with what you all are doing and, and can definitely utilize us as a resource. Free, how can we get our listeners to stay in touch with us and what do we need them to do for this podcast please rate subscribe share um and comment we always need that it always helps us you can follow us on silence the shame um, on instagram and silence th shame on twitter and facebook and that actually is always in the copy too awesome awesome and the podcast again is available on itunes google play soundcloud and spotify that's right friends and some people you know subscribe to different streaming platforms tell them 
we all over that and, and soon to be in even more outlets. So we're working on that in 2022. Look for our podcast to be expanding. Lorenzo, how can we follow you and, and how can we stay in touch with the Confess Project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Confess Project, um, you know, social medias, um, you know, mostly the Confess Project listed on across all your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn as well. Um, and, and then the, the confessproject.com. You know, if you're a barber, hey, you're looking to want to get into this training, um, we have a contact um, form there you can fill out. Um, somebody will be in contact with you immediately about getting into the training. Um, if you're a professional, want to be added to the database um, about supporting these communities, um, looking to work with clients that's working in Black communities across 35 cities, um, heavily, mostly in the South. We're also in New York, Philadelphia, Boston. So we've trained across multiple areas, have uh, cornerstones in most of these communities. Um, we still got a long way to go, but I think um, any of those are always up to um, being supported and, and working with working with our community. So, and I'd like to connect with you because I'm I, I'm sorry I do have a godson as well that I think this is beneficial to you know and he's at that awkward teen stage and. And he's going to want to look good, but he also doesn't always listen to the people that's closest around him. So, you know, having a space where he kind of can go to, I'd like to know some of those barbershops and things, you know, Absolutely. and if there's ways to kind of integrate him into those spaces. Yes, that would be perfect. Yeah, we, we will be getting up a, um, um, a directory of shops, names of shops. On our website, I know we're working on that now so that, um, you know, we often have people from the public reach out about where they are, where they're located. Most of the barbershops we work with, we do have a, um, a emblem on the door or some type of signage um, that recognizes that we are part of that shop. Um, and so we do that, like, you know, it has just had a Confess Project and a mental health logo there on the on the barbershop. So that, that's a way to really... Uh, I think just a way to connect people with what we do and, you know, also posters and signage. But we are going to do a, a, a better job this next year. Uh, we've gotten an influx of people that just often ask where they are, how they can connect, um, how they make and support, um, you know, whatever that may be in different ways. But thank you. Thank you for that. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, everyone, again for tuning in. Episode 50. The Confess Project, Mental Health and Barbershops in the Black Community. I am your host, Shanti Das. You can follow me at Shanti Das 404 on Instagram and at Shanti Das 404 on Twitter. Again, make sure you follow us at Silence of Shame on IG. And last but not least, make sure you always take time, save a life, and silence the shame. Thank you and stay blessed.